Heavenly Father, uh, it is a blessing to be together as a family uh, and to hear from you. God, I trust there's something to hear from you, God. Not from me, but from you. Because we're looking at the Word. We're looking at the Bible, which is your message to us. is the truth. And it has something for us right here in the midst of it. And God, I think about, as I prepared for today's message, I'm just so struck by how utterly practical and personal this section of Scripture is. Unless we think that Scripture is some theoretical, pie-in-the-sky, theological thing that's out there. God, this is very, very practical. And there's a whole lot of stuff to do right here this morning as we look at this passage. God, help us. Help us to take something away and to look at this and evaluate it and to evaluate it with the right perspective. God, help our hearts to be in the right place as we listen to this and we walk through this big, long list of things to do. Dad, thank you that you love us. Help us to grasp, if we grasp nothing else, help us to grasp the fact that you love us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you guys. I get a little picture here. This is a picture. I've probably shown this before, and I left it small because I didn't want you to see it real clearly. But this is my to-do list. I keep a running to-do list. Because, as you know, some of you know, maybe some of you don't know, I have a couple different jobs. One is pastoring here. I'm also an architect. Uh, a couple different capacities. I've got six kids. Uh, I, I have a lot of things going on. And so I keep a to-do list to keep me on task. Now, I don't know. Who else here likes to-do lists? Raise your hand. Right? I see. And who here does not like to-do lists? Yeah, there's a few who don't like it, right? Those of us who like it, we really like it. It really helps us, and there's this satisfaction of going, whoop, and running that line through that thing, right? Right? Some of us like it so much that the first thing on our to-do list is make a to-do list. <laughs> right? So some of us like it. Some of us do not like having to-do lists. And I understand that's kind of how it is. And that's fine. You know, everybody has different personalities and different ways of approaching things. And I do this. So you understand for me, I go, yeah, to-do. I have this and mine. has got all these different categories of all the things within pastoring and within work and within family and with, you know, taking care of my house and my cars and all these things. I got to put it on there because if I don't put it on there, I'm not going to do it. That's kind of why I have a to-do list. Or, you know, also because I like the satisfaction of checking things off. Well, I'm just struck by that because I read in Romans 12, right? So we've been going through Romans, and it's been, I think, it's been this really neat series of just going through and looking, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? And we get here to the second half of Romans chapter 12, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's not like, it is a to-do list. Paul gives us a list of things to do. I go, wow, it just struck me as, hey, this is this speaks well to me. So maybe some of you, like Tim over here, whoever else doesn't like to-do lists, it's okay. But we're given a to-do list here. I think it's something for us to look at. So let's read the passage before I start to explain a little bit more about what's going on. I got it on the screen here. I'll just read it for you. Starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints 
and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that takes us there through the end of chapter 12. And as you can see, it's just boom, 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 boom. It's this list of things to do. And it's about sanctification. It's all about sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the process of us having God fill our lives and make us more holy and make us more like Christ. And it's these things for us to do, right? But I think we've got to really understand a couple pieces of context about this passage. And so we're going to go over those again. The very first thing is this. This is a sanctification to-do list. And it's for experiencing God's best for your life. And it is not for salvation. It is not for salvation. It is for experiencing God's best for your life. See, many say, many people will say, and you'll come across these people all the time, will say, ah, the Bible is just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's just this list to do this and don't that and cramp my fun and mess with my style and all of those things. And I think there's a confusion there, and that confusion stems from our fallen sinful nature Because everybody understands intuitively what it says in Romans chapter 3. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all understand this. And so the human sinful response is, I need to work my way to God. And we get frustrated because we go, "Ah, how can I even work my way to a perfect God? And then we see the Bible and we see all the good things that are said and stored up. And hey, here, do these things. And we see a list like this and we go, oh, it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts that I don't want to do. And that's our sinful nature. And we've got to understand, the Bible also tells us, hey, you know what? Your good deeds are like filthy rags. Right? You ever try to clean up your kitchen with a filthy rag? It doesn't get clean. It gets dirtier. And that's how it is. We're corrupt to the core. And so anything we try to do to get ourselves to God, if we're trying to do works to have salvation, if we're trying to be good so that God will love us, it's going to fail because we're tainted from the inside. Instead, we have this, Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel tells us it's not do all you can, do all that you can, do all the good works you can, and then maybe God will accept you. That's not the gospel, is it? Instead, Christ died for us, like it says in that verse. He died for us right where we are. At the maximum level of sin, God shows us the maximum level of love. I love the verse there in Titus. He saved us. And he didn't save us because we did all this good stuff and he was pleased with us. He saved us not because of the righteous things we'd done. He saved us because of his mercy. He saved us because of his mercy. 
I think having this understanding is is going to be the most important thing to understand in today's passage in Romans 12. We've got to understand God saved us by his mercy, not by us following a bunch of commands. If we don't understand that, we just go, oh, Paul's just giving me another list of things to do and not to do. And that's not what it is. That's not what it is. And we're going to see that as we go through it today. Remember this. And again, as I said before, if we take one thing away today, it's this. God loves you. God loves you. Let that sink in. God loves you. And so, when you see this list of these commands, you go, oh, God loves me, and so he offers these things for me to do. Why? Well, if we engage in them and we pursue them, it's going to bear good fruit. Why? Because he loves us. He doesn't say, here, do these things and it'll go poorly for you because I'm a mean guy. No, he loves you. He loves me. He says, okay, you want to experience good? You want to experience the best? You want to have good fruit in your life and be sanctified and become more holy and more like Christ? Here, here's a list of things to do. And I think most of us understand this, particularly those of us who have children, those of us who don't have children can probably understand just by watching and just by understanding intuitively that kids need boundaries. And we don't always need to sell the kids, hey, it's this and that. We just go, here's the boundaries. And the goal in parenting is to give boundaries to your kids. Why? So it'll go good for them. It's not to be mean or to... It's that, it's, no, it's, this is going to be good for your life. I'm trying to take you from here into fruitful adulthood. And here's a set of boundaries. And here's a set of things to do and not to do to help you. And that's what I think God is giving us here. The second thing I think we want to understand as a piece of context here is this to-do list is a set of imperatives directed at us individually. What's an imperative? If you like grammar like I do, you understand an imperative means it's a command. And anytime you have a sentence that's an imperative, the subject of the sentence is you. But it doesn't necessarily say you. It just says do this or do that or here's this thing or do this. And every single one of these things, when you look at it grammatically, every single one is an imperative, which means it's a command. It means, do this. Do this. So we can't say, oh, here's a set of commands and you guys go do this. We can't look at this and say, okay, well, here's a set of commands and I'm, okay, so Catry uh, uh, over here is going to do that thing and Scott's going to do that thing and uh, Triona's going to do this other thing, right? It's not going to be that. It's to you. So this is a passage directed to you. He says, you do these things. You want to be sanctified. You understand God's grace. You understand what he's done in your life. You do these things. And so I think today, as we go through these, I don't have a whole lot of notes on all of these things. But we each should ask. If each one, ask yourself, how am I doing? How am I doing with obeying this command? These are commands. How am I doing with that? And answer honestly. And don't feel guilty if you say, I'm not doing well with this thing. Because that's not the point. The point is not, oh, I should feel guilty because I'm not getting close. No, God is giving you an opportunity and saying, hey, here's a set of things to do so that it will be good for you in your life. And so in freedom, you can step away and go, ah, I can do these things. Hey, I'm not doing so well. I can do better with these things. Aim to obey this week as we go through. So I'm going to go through this list one by one, and it's going to be very briefly. 
and you're all going, whew, okay, we didn't want to be here until it's dark, right? I mean, there's 14, I've broken into 14 different commands, and you go, if you talk for 10 minutes or 20 minutes on all those, don't worry. It's going to be very quick and just a thought, and you could probably make a sermon on each one of these things, but we're just going to go through them one by one. I'm going to have a few thoughts on each one, and we'll just keep rolling until it's done, and we can go home and sit by the fire or whatever we need to do today. It's warm. So here, the first one is this. Let love be genuine. I love it that Paul starts with love. Right? You go to Galatians chapter 5, he starts with love. 1 Corinthians 13, he starts with love. Love is really important. Love is the start. Love is the foundation of God's plan for good for your life. Love is at the beginning. It should motivate everything we do. Well, let love be genuine. Well, what does genuine mean? It can probably mean a bunch of different things in our culture, but I think what he's really talking about here is let love be real. Let love be unhypocritical. If we're not real, we're fake. And to be fake in love means, well, I'm just going to treat others kindly, but really as a way to kind of make myself feel better, right? I'm really trying to, try to build myself up, right? It's that idea of, I have a gift and I'm going to give it to that person because I want them to say thank you or I want them to be obligated to me. That's not love. That's giving to get. And so love, it's the same way, should be self-sacrificial. Real love, genuine love is giving not as a means of building yourself up, but as a means of blessing others. What about hypocritical? If you're hypocritical in love, it means you're showing one thing, but your heart is in a different place. We want to get our heart and our actions lined up together. You say, okay, so how do I get my heart to have a genuine love? I don't always feel like it. I go, yeah, I get that. Sometimes I don't feel like it. And I really understand, because when I look at my own life, I say, you know what? I am just not one of those people that's gifted with compassion. <laughs> or empathy, or sympathy. That's not where I am. I'm not one of those people. So you go, okay, well, how do you have a genuine love? To me, it's been, okay, what has Christ done for me? How has Christ loved me? Oh, he gave his life for me to stand in my place to die so I could be right with God. When I understand that love, and I grab hold of that love, it's made it much easier for me to be genuine in loving others, because I go, wow, I may not feel this way, but my love is there because I know what Christ has done for me. I'm going to strive to treat others that way. So let love be genuine. Second thing, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor, sometimes in other translations, is just hate. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Catch that because so many people today, right, we go out in the culture, will say hate is the opposite of love. And I don't think that's actually true. And I think this verse kind of proves it because Paul says love then hate. So we're supposed to do both of these things, aren't we? We're supposed to love and we're supposed to hate. What are we supposed to hate? We're supposed to hate evil. And I think, I have the boiling water here, because I think this is another one of those ways of saying, don't be lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. Don't just sort of, yeah, okay, evil, just evil. That which is evil, that which is wrong, that which is wicked, he says, hate it. And now we're talking about the practice of evil. Not people. The practice of evil. Hate the practice of evil. Hold fast to what is good. See, it's not just to hate it. Go after what's good. 
There's two levels here. First, identify that which is evil and that which is good. So we have to have an ability to look out and say, yep, I see that as evil and I see that as good. And that's probably not too difficult because we all have a conscience and we have the Bible and we can say, well, this is good and this is not good. Secondly, then we have to make a choice. A choice to say, I'm going to reject that, I'm going to hate that, I'm going to turn towards that. I'm going to get that out of my life, and I'm going to put this in my life instead. And we have to make that choice, and we have to keep making that choice day after day. Paul then says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That word affection, it's a strong word, isn't it? Affection. And I think we all kind of understand that difference between being nice and showing affection. Right? I think about, sometimes we see this with our kids, right? And I don't mean to pick on my kids because I think we all can be this way too. But you can understand when we say, okay, give yourself, give each other a hug. We can tell when it's a nice hug and it's a, or it's an affectionate hug between our kids, right? We can understand that even with ourselves as well. And so I think in this context, again, affection means loving and meaning it. You love someone and you mean it. And so I would say to all of you, look, you have brothers and sisters around you right here in this church and you go to a gospel group sometime during the week and you go, wow, I have these brothers and these sisters around me right there and ask yourself this, am I loving those people with an affection or am I just being nice? Paul says, have an affection. Then he says, honor. Now, I think we could think about honor in a lot of different ways too, but I think they said, when someone says to me, hey, here's an honor, it's an honor, I think, wow, it's like an undeserved favor. Oh, you're honoring someone by giving them undeserved favor. The reality is they don't deserve to be honored. Sometimes we just think of a picture like this and we go, oh, well, that guy did some brave, noble thing, so I'm going to honor him. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think we need to honor all here. Outdo one another in showing honor. And I think we can do this because we understand I don't really deserve honor too. But man, that is nice when it's shown to me. And so I want to try to outdo all the other people in showing honor to everyone else who's around me in this family. And we should outdo each other. Are we rushing to honor each other? Are you rushing to do that? To show honor and praise on other people who maybe you don't think they necessarily deserve it, but actually they probably do because Christ lives in them. We should be aiming for this. He goes on, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. This is the best picture I could come up with in terms of being slothful. And I think this command really speaks strongly to our cultural situation. Because I see in our culture, and I see it in my own life, this tendency to say, what is the minimum thing I can do to get by? Right? How many other people struggle with that? I can struggle with that. What is the minimum thing I can do to get by? And yet, I think we all understand that, quote-unquote, success is not achieved by doing the minimum. There's not really any of those professional athletes who are going to be down the road today and on national television who have done just the minimum. I don't think any of them have. Any of the people who we'd say, oh, wow, they're successful CEOs or they have been successful in their business or they've, they've started businesses and have they been slothful in their zeal? Have they been lazy? Probably not. Probably not. And so we have this culture, though, of laziness of what is the minimum thing I can do? 
And I think Paul says, yeah, don't be lazy. Don't be that way. Be zealous. Well, be zealous for what? He says it right there. Zealous for serving the Lord. Are you zealous for serving the Lord? Or are you lazy for serving the Lord? You go, okay, well, that seems kind of general. How do we serve him? How do we serve him? Well, there it is in Galatians 5. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You want to serve the Lord? Serve one another. That's what we see. Love for God should get us up off of the couch, out of that minimalist way of thinking of what's the least I can do, and serve one another. Paul goes on, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So let's start with tribulation there. What is tribulation? I think it just simply means hard stuff. Hard stuff, it can be maybe somebody is in opposition to you or making your life hard, or maybe it's disease or sickness, or maybe it's hardships and so on and so forth. And they go, wow, there can be some really, really deep challenges. What do we do with those? What do we do with deep challenges? Well, Paul tells us, what should you do? Be patient. Be patient. What he's saying is hang in there. Hang in there when things are tough. I've often said, that's a very scary prayer to pray. Lord, give me patience. Because what is God going to have to do so that you can learn patience? He's going to send tribulation into your life, right? And he says, be patient. Hang in there. Second thing to do is have hope. Rejoice in hope. Have hope for what? Hope for the future. Because in the future, what's going to happen to that tribulation? It's going to end. It might be sooner, or it might be later, or it might be when we get to eternity. But it's going to end. Have a hope that that tribulation is going to end. And then, rejoice. Rejoice, because it's going to end. If you have that perspective, you can rejoice. And then he says, well, gosh, man, that's hard. How do we get through this moment by moment? I know it's there. Well, what does it say? Be constant in prayer. Talk to God. Have a conversation with him. Be constant with him. Say, God, this is hard. Help me. That's what Paul's telling us to do there. He goes on, contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. It's interesting that money was important in the first century. And here we are. And it's still important today, isn't it? I mean, so many of us are tied up in that. I know we had our gospel group meeting on Friday. We were talking about things going on in our life. And every single person who was there, money had some impact on what was going on in their lives. And I know we were missing some other people. If the other people had been there, they probably would have said, yeah, it's going on in my life too. And then here we get to this command and we go, wow, contribute, which is about generosity, and hospitality, which is about opening up your home and your life. These are all about our resources. And these are all really, at the end of the day, about our money. And so as I think through, as preparing this message and thinking through of you all and everybody who's in our church, I go, wow, we really have a spectrum of people here, don't we? We have some of you who would say, you know what? I am so blessed with resources, I have more or way more than I need. And then there's some at the other end of the spectrum who would say, man, I am barely making it or I am falling behind very quickly with my resources. And there's all, a lot of us are all somewhere in between those extremes. And yet, look at this command. It doesn't say, if you have a lot, contribute and open your home. 
It says to all of us, wherever we're at, and all of these things, be generous and be hospitable. This is a to-do that applies to you, wherever you're at. And it means taking a risk, because to be generous or to open your home means you've got to sacrifice. You've got to be vulnerable. And so you've got to trust here when you look at this and you go, oh, being generous and being hospitable, is that going to bear good fruit in my life? I think we've got to say, yeah, it's a command. God says, do it. I can do it out of love and trust that there's going to be good fruit in my life. Paul goes on and says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And so there's a risk in this one too. Loving those who persecute us. Now, persecution, I think, can take on a lot of different forms, but it's generally just an attack, right? Sometimes we can be attacked in our character, where reputation can be attacked. We can be attacked and condemned for the things that we do, the choices that we make, and so on. And this is really scary, right? Because you go, I'm going to bless those who persecute me. I'm going to show love to them. They could turn around and take that love and use it as a weapon against me to keep persecuting me. Right? That's really scary. But there's a call for us here, isn't there? It says, look for ways to bless. Look for ways to bless. I think to help us, we got to look back to the Greek. We look back to the Greek and bless. Really, another way of translating it is speak well. Speak well. Speak well of those who persecute you. Speak well of them and do not curse them. God is saying, demonstrate your love for me by speaking well, by blessing those who do not speak well of you. That is a hard thing to do. How are you doing with that? Paul goes on, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And I think we kind of understand this intuitively, right? Empathy has become really a buzzword in our culture. Oh, empathy and sympathy, that's a whole other message we could talk about sometime. And I think mostly we would understand, oh, to care for somebody is more than just, oh, yeah, you're okay. It means being with somebody and being right there with them. But I think we still tend to make this theoretical and not practical because it gets really messy when it says, oh, to be with somebody means i I got to be with them. I have to have a relationship with them. And so I think this is really a call to build relationships. Because you can't really rejoice with somebody who is rejoicing or weep with somebody who's weeping if you don't have a relationship with them. So how are you doing in terms of building those relationships? How are you doing in terms of getting into proximity so that you can rejoice and you can weep with those around you? Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with another. And see, harmony doesn't mean uniformity, right? This picture kind of cracks me up. Barbershop quartets, I think, are interesting because they all dress alike. And they all dress kind of goofy like these guys sometimes. But are they all singing the same part? No, they're not. That's the whole deal with harmony in music. Some of the musicians up here could say, yeah, right, we don't all sing the same part. We sing different parts and they blend together into something beautiful. And so as believers, Paul's not saying, yeah, be clones and everybody sing the same part. He's saying make harmony 
We're called to fit our lives together, to be together, to be a group. These guys are clearly a group, but they're singing different parts that blend together, and that's what we're supposed to do, live in harmony with one another. We're called to fit our lives together, and in a musical harmony, whose part, if I'm in, if say I was the fifth guy up here, whose part do I get to control? Mine. Do I have any control over those guys' parts? No, I don't. I just have control over mine. And so as a church, we can look around and say, I can only control my part. And my part is to love others and to take my part and to blend it in into the harmony. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And I so appreciate that we're doing Operation Christmas Child and things like that. And I think the pride in us would make us say, oh, we're going to make hierarchies. And I'm up here and other people down there. And we try to, we set up hierarchies with people because we think that's going to get us closer to God. But again, we go back and say, I can't get, I can't do that because I'm saved. God already loves me at the maximum level. So the call for us here is to not make a hierarchy is to help those who are low, and I, I so appreciate, uh, I think they must be back in nursery. Um, you guys want to ask RJ and Rebecca how they're associating with the lowly and bringing that baby into their home. That's a great thing you could do, and I know there's others amongst us who are doing this, associating with the lowly. In some ways we go, yeah, this is the biggest no-brainer, but it's still hard. It's still hard to do this, to humble ourselves and not build a hierarchy and associate with other people who are different from us. There's always room for us to improve here. Paul also says, never be wise. Never be wise in your own sight. How do we do this practically? How do we do this? How can you be not wise in your own sight? Well, I think the key thing we can do is open up our lives. Open your life to godly counsel. Open your life to other people and say, hey, here's going on, this is going on, what do you think? And say, is this a good path for me to be on or not? Because if we don't do that, we're just saying, I'm just wise in my own sight. I can look at my situation and I can figure out what to do and I don't need anyone else to offer anything to help me. And that could be scary because when we open ourselves up and we say, am I on the right path? We have to open ourselves to the possibility the answer might be, no, you're not on the right path and you need to do something different and that can be hard and challenging. It's hard to respond and adjust. And so Paul reminds us not to rely on our own wisdom and I think the beauty of this is then we're all walking on paths together, kind of like this group of people. We're all walking down the path together and we're showing love to others. We show love. You catch that? It's one thing to say, oh, I can show love to somebody by offering counsel to them. You're showing love to others by opening yourself up to take their counsel. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, you might say, well, many people around me don't agree with my concept of what's peaceable. <laughs> you might say, my neighbor's idea of being at peace is very different than my idea of being at peace. But I think we ought to call our attention to the phrase there, give thought to do. Give thought to do. 
give thought to do. So we have to have some thinking that goes into this. When we aim for love, we take our eyes off of ourself. And when we take our eyes off of ourself, then we can stop thinking about ourselves. And we can start thinking about others. And we start thinking about others, we go, wait, how can I bestow honor on somebody else? How can I bestow honor on that person who doesn't seem to want to have the same idea of being peaceable as I do? And so I think the key there is to give thought. When we're not preoccupied with our own needs, our own wants, and our own opinions, we can carefully, and by the help of God's Spirit, we can carefully determine how to bless other people. Even those who, make their idea of peace is different. And we can then find ways to be at peace with others. Paul continues, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And when I think about this to-do item on the to-do list, I think it's really all about justice. We are all so concerned about things being right and fair, aren't we? We're so concerned. Things happen to us and we go, it's not fair. And we want to protect and we want to sort of look at that scale of justice and we want to go, let's get it back into balance here. But what does this verse tell us about that? tells us that we're not the ones who do that. And if we go back to the Romans, like we've been talking about, who's perfectly just? God is perfectly just. I'm not perfectly just. God is perfectly just, and he promises he's going to take care of it. He's going to set all the wrongs right. He's going to make things balance out. And so if he's in charge of setting things right, then I need to be confident that he's going to set it right, that he's going to take that scale of justice and somehow, some way, in his way, he's going to set it right. He's going to set it right. And I can be confident that he's going to do that. And so I think this command is a reminder to us. Let the one who's perfectly just balance the scales. And if I let him do that and I take my eyes off of, i got to get this all right so that I'm all protected, and I take it, I can go, whoa, how can I care for that person? That person who is opposed to me or who has harmed me. I go, oh, God's going to take care of that. How can I bless them? How can I give them something to eat? How can I give them something to drink? And Paul says, by the way, showing love instead of demanding justice will bring about good in that situation. It can be so hard for us to trust that that's the case, but that is a command for us to follow. All right, we've made it to the last one. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You go, how do I do that? It's a good question. (laughs) It's really hard. In a world that is so evil and we're swimming against the currents, evil is so pervasive. What can I do? What can I do? Well, look at that guy. The representation, that guy represents Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? He came into a world that was very evil, wasn't it? And it was so evil that at the end of the life, end of his life, well, he was in his 30s, in the prime of his life, they took him, an innocent man, and executed him in the most brutal fashion ever devised by humans. 
So if we want to look at an example of how to live in an evil world, we should look at Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? Well, go to the Gospels. Go to the message, the stories of Jesus, and look at how did he live? How did he overcome evil with good? We should take the message and the example of Jesus, and we should live it out. And I think that's a fitting place to bring this list of to-dos to a close. And it all goes back to that first statement. Love. What is genuine? Love. It's about love. And where does love come from? It doesn't come from within us. It comes from Jesus Christ. God is love and he comes to live inside of us by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so this list of commands, when we obey this list of commands in the way God intended, we're obeying because Christ loved us first. And our love should be an imitation of Christ's love. Remember this, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word. How can I be a doer of the word? Well, guess what? There was 14 commands of things to do. 14 things to do. Those are some practical steps. And so I put it there on my to-do list. These things should be on my to-do list and on your to-do list every day. And we should grow in them again, not because it's going to get us salvation, we're saved. But it's going to bear good fruit in our lives. So this week, let's make progress. Let's all make progress in our sanctification. And let's go after these to-dos together, all close in prayer. God, thank you that you have given us instructions. God, it would be so disappointing in some ways if you just said, hey, here's salvation, now go figure out what to do now on your own. God, you've given us instructions. We said thank you for the words in Romans that say, here is a list of things to do. In some ways we can go, wow, 14 things, that seems like a lot. And it is a lot. But God, I remember that you would not give us things to do that we could not accomplish. It would not be too much. We are capable. And we are especially capable because you've sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. To help us in this. So Lord, we ask that you would help each one of us this week grow and be more and more sanctified, more and more like Christ. That we would look at these things and Lord, maybe wherever we're at, maybe we just look at one thing and say... I have that one thing, man, I could really use to be more hospitable. And I'm going to be more hospitable because I know that when I do that, I'm going to be more like Christ. And when I'm more like Christ, good fruit is going to be born in my life as I go down the road and it's going to bless others. So Lord, wherever we're at, help each one of us to be sanctified this week. Thank you for your word. And thank you, God, thank you that we don't have to try to do these things as a ladder to get to you because you've come down to us and you've offered us the free gift of salvation. We thank you for that. Bless us as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen.